Welcome to Beyond the Shelf. I'm Scott Curry with Chef's Best. We gather to talk about the trends in marketing, retail, and production of food and beverage that are shaping the industry. Joining us today is entrepreneur Josh Deeth. Josh is the founder of Kazoo Snacks, the world's first water-saving upcycled tortilla chip. Using Kazoo's water-saving technology, the company saves 20 gallons of water per bag. Josh launched Kazoo amid a successful career working as an intellectual property and patents lawyer, most notably for TD Bank. Josh desired to fuse his passion for snacking with his desire to make a positive environmental impact. Josh also sits on the board of the Upcycled Standards Committee and works hand-in-hand with a number of upcycled food startups to try and create more demand for upcycled foods. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining. And, you know, from IP eternity to uh, sustainability entrepreneur in the food industry, it it seems you have a lot of explaining to do. Uh, (laughs) Share with us a little bit about what inspired you to to start uh, Kazoo Tortilla Chips. Um, yeah, so my inspiration for Kazoo really came from uh, an innate frustration uh, as an entrepreneur. I, I, I'm constantly in a curious state and always looking for sort of novel ways to to address what I identify as, as being problems. And uh, Kazoo was something that I've been working on for about four years on the corner of my desk. And it was really born out of the sort of vision that there, there really has to be both a better for you snack food uh, and something that's better for the environment. And I didn't see anything like that that existed at all. There was a lot of emphasis on better for you. Um, and that made a lot of sense, you know, with, with organic products and more protein, more fiber, things of that nature. But they didn't, there didn't seem to be anything that combined that with better for the planet. And, and when I was starting to look at this, as I said, four years ago, you know, the Upcycled Food Association hadn't even started. It wasn't even sort of a, a concept that was being floated around. So it really was a bit of uh, pioneering <laughs> in sort of a, uh, a very open space, but not a very crowded space at all. Yeah. And your position around the claim that each bag is made using 40% upcycled corn germ, and that uh, this reduces your water for, per, by at least 20 gallons per 11 ounce bag, which is, is it's a number I want. We're going to dig into a little bit, a sure. little bit more. But yep. my first reaction, of course, was like, "Yikes! How much water does it take to produce the bag of chips I'm usually eating?" Uh, so let, let's let's first talk about upcycled corn germ because I'm not familiar with it, know what it is. So uh, explain to me a little bit about what that is and, and how it is so important to the manufacturing process to achieve, uh, you know, your sustainability goals. Yeah, sure. So. Um... Really, if you look back at sort of what upcycled is all about, it's they're sort of waste or, or byproducts from from industry, uh, and they're, they're food grade uh, materials. But they're materials that, for whatever reason, are not the primary purpose of production, or they're damaged goods or things of that nature. In the case of corn germ, uh, we get our corn germ from the uh, corn starch industry. And the cornstarch industry is massive. Um, it's involved with everything, you know, Fortune 500 food companies uh, heavily use uh, cornstarch. Uh, cornstarch is used to make uh, glucose and, and things, or corn syrup and things of that nature. But it's also used in baked goods and, and uh, even French fries to make them more crisp. So it, it's a huge industry and they don't want the germ. They want all of the corn kernel except the germ. And so what they do is they, they mill it 
so that they break off all the starchy bit and they and they take that and that's what they use and grow the corn for. And then the germ ends up just it's a byproduct or, or a waste product. It, it ends up going to feed turkeys or other types of animals. And, and that's where it goes into that channel, even though it's human grade food. It's just something that they don't want or need. So we identify that as, as something that we could work with and incorporate that, upcycle it, reclaim it, upcycle it um, into a tortilla chip. Mm. And, and the water savings, how is that calculated? You know, where, where is most of the water going when, my math might be wrong here, but it seems like maybe 50 gallons is used for a typical bag because that's a lot of water. It's I imagine basically a, a standard bathtub, you know, is probably about uh, 50 gallons. Where along the, the I guess it's the, the growing, it, it's everything. Where, why, it just seems like a, a big number. <laughs> Could you share what, you know, why? Um, is it just the watering of the plants? Is it, is it something along the supply chain? Yep. Um, is it in the processing? Uh, it's just, it just strikes me as you have a bag of chips and a bathtub of water to make it is just, it's just startling. Yeah. It, it's the, um, it really goes back to corn itself and, and corn is a very thirsty crop. Um, and it requires 110 gallons of water per pound of corn. Now, that's the water footprint. And so the water footprint is made up of uh, green water and blue water and gray water. <laughs> um, I always get this wrong, but uh, I think it's blue water is rainwater. Green water would be, you know, produced or provided irrigated water. And then gray water is wastewater. So those in totality create your water footprint. And it takes 110 gallons of that sliced and diced, whichever way you want. You know, some areas, um, and this is average across the states, but 110 gallons to grow one pound of corn. So with kazoo chips, um, we only need, so if you think of a regular bag of chips, they have to grow 100% of the corn to make your bag of chips. We only have to grow 60% of the corn to make our bag of chips. And the others is reclaimed from the, as the corn germ is reclaimed and it's been grown for another purpose. And we, we've worked with the mill to figure out uh, and with our calculations, how much of value do they attribute towards the germ versus the value that they put towards the rest of the corn kernel. And they only attribute about 4% value towards the germ. So we offset our water savings uh, in regard to that 4% Delta as well to reflect the fact that there is water used um, to grow up the germ, of course, um, but that wasn't the primary intent. It was it was reclaimed from a waste channel. So the position that we've and I worked with a number of um, the leading law firms in the states and ex FDA lawyers at these firms to figure out sort of what's the right way to position this and to and to and to make this statement because it's there's not as if there's a standard out there that you can point to and say, you know, we're we're organic certified because we do ABC. There is no water saving claim statement certification. <laughs> so it falls into the classical, typical bucket of uh, marketing, substantiate your marketing claims. And that's why I worked with a, a number of law firms to go through that and work with the calculations and say, this is what we're doing. This is a statement we're making. Um, we validated it with food corn scientists. We validated it with the mill with regard to sort of the value they attribute towards the germ. And, we, and here's our positioning. And that's how we walked through um, the numbers. And then the, the, the data points with 110 gallons, that's from the U.S. Uh, Geological Services website, I believe. So we use government data 
um, as our as our starting point. And then the rest of it was largely just math. Um, we also back out uh, the fat pickup because when you fry a chip, it picks up fat. Um, that's just a that's why it tastes so good. So we've uh, we've backed out the uh, the fat weight as well from the from the uh, water calculation so that we get as true of a number as possible. And we've also we also rounded the number down again to be on the conservative side of the math. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. It, 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 I think we'll talk we'll talk a little bit later about you know how upcycling can, can perhaps have an even larger global impact with some of the organizations you were with. But sticking with, with your product, what is the standard way to manufacture a tortilla chip? We all eat them, right? One of the more universal uh, snacks out there, I would say, is a tortilla chip, uh, but probably not much thought is given to how they're created and how it happens. Um, can you share how your process might be different and how you arrived at it? Um, yeah, I'm just picturing a tortilla chip right now and I, I don't know how it becomes going from corn to that crunchy bite size, usually a triangle. Um, what, what's the standard manufacturing process? And, and are there any tweaks along the way, or is it just a matter of, of using a, a different base product? Well, uh, so our process is patent pending, um, and it is, it took four years. <laughs> so it took, it took a number of years, a lot of experimentation, a lot of failures. Uh, we tried, I tried different um, upcycled ingredients. Um, at first I was working quite extensively with dried distiller grains and that's from the ethanol industry. Again, huge consumer of corn. <laughs> and um, they, again, they want the sugar from the corn. So, so at the end, after their fermentation process, you're left with um, uh, a yeasty, fibery protein mess, which is called, which is then they dry and it's called dry distiller grains. So we worked with that with a number of years to try to incorporate that. And it just, it just tasted terrible. In my view, in making any kind of product, uh, food product, doesn't matter how great your claims are. Uh, if it doesn't taste good, no one's going to buy it. If no one's going to buy it, you're not making a, a lick of difference. So it had to taste good. And, and I ended up working with the leading food corn scientists in the world down in Mexico um, to, to formulate this and did a number of trials and cycles with them. And the key to it as well was this uh, adoption of and, and recognition that unless I'm willing to build my own plant, which I'm not, uh, we have to track as absolutely close as possible to the current manufacturing process. Because you're right, tortilla chips are a huge industry and massive, massive volume. I think last year in the States, there was a, a million tons of, of tortilla chips that were produced and consumed. So it's it's got to be, it's high volume. And so you have to have your process as closely aligned as possible with the typical manufacturing process. Now, there are two sort of ways that tortilla chips are made. One is the traditional way, where you get the corn kernel, and you you um, you you steep it with some some uh, lime. It's 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 the chemical lime as opposed to it's it's sort of the the uh, base, the base element. It, it breaks down the the, the uh, corn kernel and it releases more of the uh, nutrients and such. So it's a traditional way. It's been always done. Um, they used to use ash from a fire. Now of course it's <laughs> it's much it's proper commercial lime um, that's used to break it down. So you steep it the whole kernel. And then you would grind it 
between, they used to use volcanic stone and some still do, but grind it between stones to make it into a paste. Um, and then the paste is rolled out much like you'd make a tortilla bread and then it's cut and then it's, uh, it's baked in an oven. And so that's when your tortilla bread would be, would be done. But with a tortilla chip, it goes into a fryer and it's fried and then, and then seasoned at the end and bagged. Um, the other way, and that's why it was a very enticing sort of product to look at because, or, or methodology, because you are actually uh, bringing together ingredients and grinding them up. And so we could say, okay, well, let's remove. And we played around with all different ratios of germ. Can we do 5% uh, and up to 40? Actually, we had played around with 50 and 60 and it just didn't, it didn't work out. It didn't create a machinable product. And that was, that was again, key because you've got to go through a production mill, production facility, and they have to be able to use it on production equipment. And if it doesn't roll out well or, or, or hold together, uh, it's just not going to be a viable, a viable product. And we spent a lot of time working on that uh, on the bench to make sure that it would be an achievable objective. And what's interesting, when we started work with the food corn scientists, they said uh, people had only, only got up to 25% inclusion. And I said, well, I wanted to try for more. And they said, well, you know, can't be done. <laughs> so I said, well, I'll pay you guys and let's see if we can figure out a way to get it done. So they were, we were all delighted when we got 40% into a product that was machinable. Um, and we did have to play around with some of the processing, which is part of the patent. So I'm not going to talk about that, but we did have to make some tweaks with regard to how it was cooked and how much moisture and so forth, but all within sort of variables and parameters that a production facility could tune or tweak um, to allow for the production to occur. And, and we were able to produce, produce a machinable product. The other way tortilla chips are made, um, actually a lot of them, the vast majority, are they use a uh, mass of flour. So they don't do any of the, that, that steeping and grinding and all that we just talked about earlier. That's all done at a facility. And then, then it's dried into a mass of flour and the chips are made with the mass of flour. So that's a way simpler way to do it, but it's not the traditional way. And, it, and it's not a process that we could use um, or leverage to produce our chip because we do need it done uh, on the spot, uh, fresh batch per time. Uh, and the other thing about using the germ and why the germ is off is discarded in the whole cornstarch industry is because it has all the oil in it. It has all the nutrients in it, but the oil is the most, the most important part. And as you know, uh, oil goes rancid. And so that's why they get rid of it, because it, it makes for terrible sort of shelf life. So with the tortilla chip, with our process, we manufacture it and then it's consumed within sort of a, a regular period of time for tortilla chips where you don't have issues with with the oil. But um, we have so we have to rely upon that traditional uh, mass of production process at the facility. And how much of this did you know when you started this project? <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's a, that's I mean, a great four year, At four years, you know, you hear four years and you're like, oh, what was he doing for four years? I, I literally yeah, had to. But it, it goes back to my earlier statement about, you know, endless, endlessly frustrated, curious. Um, I used to explain this to my wife as this was my hobby. <laughs> and we, we it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And, and we kept having challenges and roadblocks and I would take it away and I love researching. I have a problem with researching. Uh, and I would just constantly noodle on these issues and ideas and find uh, potential solutions forward. And then I would I would raise it, raise it with my lab and they would say, well, we'll try. Um, and, and it was really that trial and error experimentation. And, and that's the advantage of <laughs> me being a lawyer and not a chemist in that 
I, I'm not constrained by chemistry. And I know that seems like a strange concept, but I, I, I'm able to think and play and look in a lot of different places to get ideas and inspiration where chemists wouldn't think that they wouldn't look in those areas because why would they? That's they're trained to look in a certain space and think in that space and they're experts in that space. Um, it's the same reason as a lawyer, I don't goof around with the tax act or things of that nature. Like, why would I even think about that? But, you know, if you're not fettered by that, you're willing to look in a lot of areas and you can get inspiration from a lot of different sort of uh, pieces of disparate information. And that's what I did. And so we were able to keep coming up with solutions to the problem. Um, and every time it was, it, this might fail and it might be over. Uh, and that was okay. Uh, but we were able to, to, to succeed. And then even when we got, <laughs> even when we did production, we did a 500 pound trial at the facility. And it was, it was a, we took a long time finding a facility that was willing to work with us as well because we were small. We didn't have any you know, committed volumes. We had a different process. All these things are you know, uh, a challenge for a facility. So we're very grateful with our co-packers who are, um, who are, who are entrepreneurial as well and, and saw a lot of excitement and interest in Kazoo and the properties uh, and wanted to be involved with that from a, from a manufacturing perspective. So, um, but our first run with them, uh, it turned out well, the samples were good. It was a 500 pound run and everyone said, oh, this is fantastic. You know, these machines are designed to do 10,000 pounds and like, you know, huge volume. So they said doing 500 pounds is really hard. Uh, they said, don't worry, this will scale up fantastically. It'll just be better when we do the big run because the machines will be going and we can tune everything in. So I said, oh, that's great. And then we did our first big run and the entire thing we had to throw out. 15,000, 1,500 pounds. <laughs> no, sorry. 15,000 pounds. Yes. Okay. We had, we had to throw out. Disaster. Complete disaster. <laughs> the machinery got gummed up and there was burnt stuff here. And they're just like, oh, my God. So, again, we brought in the food corn scientists and we, we had to almost re-engineer the thinking because we had done it on the bench and, and – Everyone thought, well, when you scale up, it, it should be fine. But it was actually the opposite. Little things that we didn't think would be an issue became an issue on scale up. And again, to the perseverance of, and credit of, the, of my co-packer, they were willing to try uh, one more shot. And we, we got it tuned right for the production in, in scale up. And they, they've said they're very proud of what they've done. But they said my chip is the hardest thing they've ever had to do in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> So. <laughs> you said, I mean, it's just creativity and, and, and perseverance. And, and I right. have to ask this at some point along the way, you need to make sure that you're not going to end up with a retail price of $25 for a bag, right? Yeah. Um, how did you go about that? I mean, four years, you know, you don't have to say it, but it's clear you've spent a couple of dollars here along the way. It's yeah. not just your passion. It's not just your time and research, but there's a lot going on here. Um, you know, how did you keep fighting on through there? And did you, did you, Maybe even maybe it's the other side of this. Maybe did you get a sense early on that the manufacturing cost might even bend in your favor? Um, so, you know, I, I think it's probably a good expression is fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Um, I, I, I didn't have an appreciation for uh, operating a business in the food industry and the margins and what, what it's really all about. I do now. <laughs> but... Um, Going into it again as a as a lawyer, I guess in the work I did, I do at TD Bank. It's I I was more thinking strategically, larger picture, um, big buckets, and that worked really well with the with the claims and with the R and D and 
and how we brought it together. And um, but when you get into the nuts and bolts of it, uh, yeah, it's definitely a challenge. Now, our our germ is a fraction of the price of regular corn. So when when we get to scale, uh, we should be we should be we should have some cost advantages. We should. Uh, our production process is a bit more complex, so that you know maybe we'll net out at zero with regard to that. Um, uh, but that was uh, a, a big part of sort of ending up with this particular germ in the first place, because initially we were actually even playing around with trying to, if you can believe it, manufacture our own upcycled ingredient, and uh, as opposed to just reclaiming something that's already already exists, and that would have been a twenty five dollar bag of chips for sure. <laughs> And, you know, you spoke a little bit in the past, so let's go there, but there's some regulatory challenges that might be a barrier to upcycled products coming to market. Uh, so we just wanted to give you a chance to advocate for what you would like to see down the area and, and maybe what, what people can do for themselves as well. Yeah, I think it, it's it's something, you know, upcycled is is one concept. I think it's more so approaching things from a sustainable mindset that, there are finite resources and, and um, agriculture consumes about 70% of the world's fresh water. Uh, that's one of the, it is the number one water consumption industry in the world. Um, and every decision that you make with regard to purchasing uh, has resources that have, that have gone into it. And, and, and there is an impact to that. So upcycle is, is one movement. Um, there are other movements uh, that are, that are sort of, in flight with regard to uh, managing best before dates, you know, for example, uh, with educating consumers that eating a slightly bruised apple is okay. Um, you know, this type of thinking is, is is a larger educational process that needs to get underway. And I, I don't think you can regulate this into existence. It's more of an educational process with regard to consumers who have become habitualized into um, very easy, convenient, readily available food in perfect condition at all times of the year <laughs> just stay you know that's just a, a fabrication and a myth and i think you're starting to see with the supply chain disruption now you know how how much the, the agricultural industry has contorted itself to support that kind of perspective from a consumer and I, I think the consumer needs to start to realign their thinking um and that's really where you'll start to get a change in um a true adoption of sustainable products uh, and, a, and, a, and a, a demand upon manufacturers to actually start producing these products. So this is the, the chicken and the egg issue. And when, when I talk to buyers, you know, they agree, everyone agrees in principle that a product that's more sustainable is good, but there's not, there's not a lot of data about how well do they sell? Do consumers really want to buy them? So people are reluctant to take the risk and, their, and use their valuable shelf space to promote something that they that they don't know how the consumer is going to necessarily respond. Because we're just really, I, I would say we're just, you know, the Upcycled Food Association, I think, is about 18 months old, uh, maybe two years, uh, I think 18 months. So, you know, we're, we're just at the stage where, where, where that kind of advocacy and education is starting. But it really, it comes down to the consumer and, and to the consumer vo- voting with their dollars uh, with regard to, what they want to support or don't support. Because if you can do all the advertising and regulating in the world, if the consumers aren't buying it, it's it's going nowhere. Um, and that comes back around to the challenge to the industry. Uh, one is we need to make products that taste good. You can't 
you know, it doesn't matter how great the claims are. If it doesn't taste good, no one's going to buy it or rebuy it. And two, uh, we all have to be careful about greenwashing. And that's why I worked with two law firms. I had one law firm do the initial cut and I had it validated second opinion from another, another law firm um, so that we could make claims with integrity uh, because there's a lot of greenwashing that goes on and, and, and that dilutes the value and, and confuses the consumer. And we don't want to end up in a situation with what's happened with the, you know, the term natural quote unquote, which has just been completely uh, bastardized to have no meaning whatsoever. Um, organic was well-managed and, and that's a path that, uh, you know, the certification, there's confidence and trust in that. And the brand has been built and the consumers have awareness of it, but that's really the model that, uh, that I think we need to follow. So that was a long rambling answer to your question, but I think it's sort of, it really end of the day comes down to the consumer, um, and, and them voting with their dollars. Yeah, it, it's it's very insightful what you said there. You know, you end up with that chicken or egg problem here, right? Where is it the consumer's fault or the marketer's fault, right? Uh, you know, if you've been told the only good apple is a perfect, round, shiny apple for, well, at least my whole life, then how much unlearning has to occur? Because we've all done it. Right. We've all picked yep. up an avocado yep. and there's a scratch on it and you pick <laughs> up the one next to it. I mean, it's it's crazy when you think about it, but yeah. we're just conditioned to think that way. Yeah. Uh, and, and that extends. Well, it extends, extends everywhere, but it's across the entire uh, the entire produce aisle at the very least. If we bring it back to tortilla chips, I don't know. I expect them to be a triangle, maybe a circle. <laughs> You know, and if you give me a, I don't know, a hexagonal one, then I'm like, ah, you know, um, you know, pushing it, pushing it there a little bit. But at the same time, I'm not. Um, you're right. We just have to completely rethink because the amount of food waste in this in this world is uh, it's appalling. Let's call it what it is. It's appalling, uh, especially when you consider, you know, how much how many people are living, you know, food insecure through their lives. Uh, it's just just not right but then you extend it into to water and you know we're out here in california and it's real you know uh i i do know farmers and if you drive through the central valley of california which do your own research the central valley of california is critical if for some reason tomorrow uh central valley were to not produce food there would be a big problem it's the percentages are crazy it's 90 percent of almonds it's you know, 80% of leafy greens, it's, it's these crazy numbers and it is a problem. And, you know, it's everything from the water tables uh, having sunk so low that they almost can't find water to the, the reservoirs. If they do fill up at all over 50%, they evaporate more. So this is not a problem that's going away uh, and it's going to take innovative thinking, obviously loads of creativity and perseverance from folks like you uh, in order to do that. So, you know, maybe one question to ask is, do you plan to expand beyond tortilla chips? You obviously have a product that's going to hopefully inspire. Um, but, you know, do you personally envision taking what you've learned, which is a, everything, it's a massive amount, and expanding beyond tortilla chips? Or are you also just, you know, staying focused on your the upcycled standards committee and you feel like you can make a strong impact there? Actually, um yeah, that's, I appreciate the question. We've, what we have here is a, is a corn snack platform. Um, 
we're starting with tortilla chips because it made the most sense, but we actually have done puffs or extruded products like, you know, tortilla crunches um, uh, or cheese puffs. We, we, we've done that on the bench um, and we, we've actually started looking for a co-packer to be able to manufacture those. We can do tortilla bread. We can do crackers. Um, so anything that you see that has corn in it as a product, a baked product of some sort, we can we can do that. And, and we are looking at doing that, but we're first looking to expand our SKUs in the tortilla space so that we have, we're going to offer ranch and nacho soon. And, you know, those are sort of <laughs> table stakes if you have tortilla chips. So uh, those are coming down. But one thing that I'm hoping to do um, is, I don't want to make this sound grandiose, but sort of like what Uber did to taxis. I mean, Uber exists, it's great, uh, but it upped the game of taxi companies quite a bit. They had to respond. Um, if we can prove and show that, you know, you can add germ into a tortilla, consumers love it. Um, and actually, it actually tastes better. We have a lot of consumers who say they like our product more because it has the germ oil, which has all the flavor, um, has more nutrients and such. Uh, if you can if you can convince an industry or show an industry that they can do this and the germ actually costs less than corn and the germ is coming from the monstrous cornstarch industry and they all just add like 10%, can you imagine how much water impact that would be? That water that's not being used now to grow that corn? Uh, that's yeah, just this multiplier, right? It just, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so so that's what I, that's, that's ultimately what I'd like to see. Um, I'd love to see others I don't, you know, it sounds like a terrible thing for a business person to talk about this, but I'd love to see others pick up our idea and run with it uh, and start to leverage it and use it because uh, again, corn is so thirsty. It's it's such an extensive U.S. crop. Um, The opportunity is here to to really move the needle in a very simple way with a better product. You know, it it, it reminds me of, there was an interview done, I think it was Elon Musk with, Tim Urban, uh, which is I think just a, a great follow if you're not if you don't follow him. It was done years ago. I can't speak to the veracity of what Elon said, but I, I will repeat it in that he was asked, you know, how come you're doing this? And again, this is I would say four or five years ago. So, you know, before Texas were, you know, they're at least pretty ubiquitous here in Southern California. And he said, I'm doing this to force other companies to do it. You know, it just, someone's got to step out here and raise the bar so that it's not, uh, you know, I'm making this up, but GM or Ford saying, yeah, you know, sometime in 2045, we're going to have electric vehicles. His his whole purpose, as he stated, it was, I'm doing it now, so the others have to do it now. And it's that healthy competition that we think, you know, you're bringing to the market here, right? Uh, that if you could just, create that effect that builds on itself. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But if one other company sees what you're doing and says, why don't we think about doing that? And then another company does it, another company does it. You can look back in five years and now you can really truly quantify billions of gallons of water and so on by by creating that spark that creates, you know, the longer fire. I think unquestionably, again, back to Elon, it, 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 it lit a fire, I would say, under other manufacturers that said, we better, we better hustle this long. And I think now you're starting to see the fruits of that. So, uh, you know, congratulations for figuring it out. Uh, it took a curious mind like yourself to do that. And 
But I think, you know, with the Elon example, coming back to what I was saying earlier, it only took off because consumers bought the cars. Yeah, he made a great car. That helped, right? He right. made, a, he he made, a, great made a great car and he got over the, the barrier of, I don't know, I remember 85 miles was kind of the, the battery problem, right? I, say, I, can't, I, can't, I can't even go downtown and back with that. Um, and, he made, and he made a great car that I heard yesterday, I think he said, or someone said, if you wanted to buy a car that can go as fast or accelerate as fast as a Tesla, it's about a $2 million car. You know, it's just these special, you know, unique one-off custom builds that can do that. So, you know, by, by making a great car, and as you've said right from the beginning, and we're all about it around here, Chef's Fest, you had to create a great tasting chip first or, yep. or you, you wasted you wasted four years at the very least yep. of your time. Uh, I haven't tried it myself. I look forward to it, but let's talk about where people can find it. Um, you, you believe you're in high V market of choice and you're expanding as well. So tell folks where they can find Kazoo. Yeah, so we're in we're in select IV market of choice. Um, we've uh, just been picked up by Central Market in Texas, so we're very very excited about that. And um, uh, for your region, we're in uh, northern we're in Whole Foods in Northern California, so we're awesome. all, we're in all fifty Whole Foods, and it's we've only been in there for about three months, and it's going great. Uh, it is amazing. The and, and we haven't done any promotions yet or any advertisement. Um, uh, we I should say in-store promotion. We, we did do a little bit of a Facebook campaign, um, but the adoption just from people seeing the bag and picking it up and rebuying has been been spectacular. Awesome. And, and, and it's where you got cool branding. You got this, this, this awesome logo and it says it right there, uh, save it 20 gallons per bag, right? Right on the packaging itself. Yep. Uh, so folks can also find you at kazoosnacks.com. So it's K-A-Z-O-O. I'm going to spell it like it sounds, uh, .com. And they can follow along as well. Um, same on Facebook, Kazoo Snacks, Instagram as well. So that's right. That's right. Uh, give them a follow. And uh, look, we have a lot of folks on doing great things, and we're appreciative of all of them. And wish you tons of luck along the way. Um, you know, who know who knows what kind of sea change you could create here with this. But if we're not, if you're not thinking about sustainability and what you eat, and at least making some incremental changes in your life, I think. I think you got to start doing it. And uh, given that, I would say everyone eats tortilla chips. Fair <laughs> to say, <laughs> um, you know, snacking with an upside, as you say, uh, it's a good place to, to to start it. Super Bowl is coming up. Why not start? That's it? right. That's right. Exactly. Awesome. Give us a shot. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for coming on. Uh, great story of, of not, you know you get the sustainability aspect to it, but uh, so much creativity, perseverance along the way as well. But somehow it sounds like you've enjoyed the ride. Not sure if your wife has, but you have. <laughs> it's a, it's a, there's been some dark days. <laughs> but so far, so far, there's been light at the end of the tunnel. So yes, I have enjoyed the ride. And uh, I've enjoyed talking to people like yourself and and the reaction that we're, we're getting. When we are not only first in market, with this type of a upcycle tortilla chip, we're the first in market with this kind of a water claim on a package. And others have talked to us about this. Other companies, large CPDs are trying to figure out how to do this and looking at what we're doing. Um, we're sort of a grand experiment here. So it's it's been entertaining for sure. That's one word for it. It's crazy that we've gotten this far without water claims yet. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> that's right. You know, it's, it's a, water is only the thing that sustains all of us and our society and we're, we're just getting to it. So congratulations for, for, 
for leading in that area. And we wish you the best of luck. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on Beyond the Shelf, presented by Chef's Best. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening to episodes.